Too many businesses struggle to deliver sustainable business value from their data and AI investments. At InfoCEPs, we are experts in unlocking the value that lives within your data to strengthen decisions. We are a global data solutions firm on a mission to bridge the gap between the worlds of business and analytics. We've joined forces with The Rabbit Show to bring you the most cutting-edge data and AI insights. All right. Uh, welcome to The Rabbit Show. I hope uh, you're having a good week. Uh, so uh, I am super excited for today's show episode. Uh, we have a special guest, uh, Elliot, uh, co-founder and CEO of Anomalo. Uh, today, we'll be discussing some important topics such as data quality, data governance, data scalability, and much more. So feel free to bring in your questions for Elliot. I'm pretty sure uh, Elliot would have some interesting insights for you, and I can't wait, definitely. Uh, also, quick um, uh, announcement about the Data Observability, the reality book. You might have already seen the announcement. Anomalo is also one of, part of uh, the book. They've contributed a chapter and many more uh, data observability companies are there. So uh, feel free to download it. You can find the post on my LinkedIn. If you're following the newsletter, you already have it. Uh, but uh, another quick uh, announcement about the giveaway that we're doing. We are doing a very cool giveaway, which is uh, two airports. Uh, and what you need to do is type in hashtag Anomalo in the chat. I can already see someone typing in. I don't know who the LinkedIn user is, but I'm pretty sure I can check it in my uh, event page. Um, so uh, feel free to type in, make sure the spelling is right. So we are getting uh, it collected like the one that Richard, uh, one Richard has put. It's uh, in the entry. So get the spelling right. But uh, again, for those, uh, if you have any questions around can data quality scale in larger organizations around that, feel free to bring in for Elliot. But without any further ado, let's uh, bring up our guest uh, up here. Hey, Elliot, welcome to the Rabbit Show. Such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Rabbit. Awesome. I was just letting the folks know about today's topic around, you know, obviously, data quality, data governance, data scalability, and many more topics as such. And I'm pretty sure the audience would have many more questions for you, Elliot. Uh, but why not we start with your introduction and then uh, we get into uh, everything around data. Absolutely, absolutely. So hello, everybody. I am Elliot, and I am the co-founder and CEO of Anomalo. Anomalo is a product that helps data teams find issues in their data, root cause issues in their data, understand why those issues appear, and helps them do it at scale and helps them do it quickly, you know, before anyone else in the organization really notices that there's an issue with the data. And uh, prior to starting Anomalo, I've been a longtime executive in Silicon Valley, worked at some companies that I'm sure many of you have heard of, companies like Instacart, you know, big grocery delivery company companies like Wellfront and FinTech and LinkedIn. Uh, so I saw a bunch of LinkedIn users watching the stream from LinkedIn, was, was there, worked at the company, you know, more than 10 years ago and it was much smaller. Um, so have worked with data, have worked with product, have worked with, you know, growing businesses and, and teams small and large for many years. Right. Thanks, Elliot. That is uh, pretty interesting. And I'm pretty sure, you know, uh, that's one of the reasons we wanted to have this topic with you because you've worked with so many big organizations out there. And uh, even though back then uh, they weren't big, but now they have uh, they've become huge, like in terms of the LinkedIn itself, uh, you know, obviously it has become maybe 10x uh, more, maybe more than that. You never know. More. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, and another reason why we wanted to pick something around data quality as, uh, you know, one of the topics was because Anomalo kind of deals in it. So uh, obviously to start with, uh, you know, my first question would be uh, around why did you start a company in the data space, first of all? Yeah, great question. You know, really like a lot of founders, it was just a problem that I faced myself, right? Uh, and so even going back to my LinkedIn days, I remember, uh, you know, just really struggling to use data to make decisions 
because I wasn't sure it was the right data. Parts of the data were missing, right? The data would change suddenly and no one would know why. Uh, and okay. it was very difficult uh, to rely on it, very difficult to trust it. You had to be incredibly vigilant and kind of watch the data like a hawk all the time to make sure it was the correct data and make sure you were, you were gonna make the right decision based on it and we're gonna mm. report the right numbers to you know, the CEO of LinkedIn, who was you know, an avid consumer of all of our dashboard. Um, and so it, it started way back when, but really the idea for an envelope came when I was at Instacart, uh, along with my co-founder, Jeremy Stanley. And Instacart, mm. as many of you know, uh, and I'm sure you know, is you know very successful grocery delivery company, very sophisticated data organization. You know, there's amazing machine learning folks there. There's data flowing in from every direction. You know, at one point when I was there, we were getting a, a feed from nearly every grocery store in North America, you know, telling Instacart oh. what was on the shelves of the grocery store so that we could make sure to, you know, promote those items for delivery, right? And didn't promote items that you couldn't buy at the store. Exactly. Right? That would be a bad experience. You know, we were even getting, uh, you know, the, the delivery uh, folks uh, that deliver your groceries at Instacart are called shoppers. And so it was very important for us when shoppers were working that we would know where they were so we could route them to the mm -hmm. right store and give them the right order. And so at one point we were even getting a GPS feed from all the shoppers driving around all the cities that we served where we had their exact coordinates, you know, every minute. Um, and so Instagram was this, this very data hungry and very data intensive company and very data driven as an organization. We use machine learning for everything. If there was a big problem, we use machine learning to solve it. And so it exactly. was really surprising to me when I was there uh, that despite all of this sophistication, how often data quality issues really made our life difficult. Um, and so I have a couple of stories from those days, but the one I tell most often is, is coming into the office one day at Instacart and my entire team was running around like crazy, you know, and I asked what was going on. I said, well, orders from Costco, you know, big retailer on, on the Instacart, exactly. huge company, orders from Costco are down 50% today. And oh, we right. don't know why, right? Terrible, disaster. Uh, and so everyone's running around there checking everything. Did we break the site? Did we break our search experience? You know, is there something wrong at Costco? And at the end of the day, it literally just turned out to be a data quality issue. Uh, somehow the inventory data we got from Costco the night before was missing any items from the meat department. So there's no chicken, oh. no beef, right? And our code did exactly what it was supposed to do, which is when items are not in the feed, it doesn't show them on Instacart for sale and delivery. So it took down all the meats from uh, you know our Instacart storefront for Costco. And turns out that if you don't have meats at your grocery store, or at least if you don't have meats at Costco, you get 50% less orders uh, for, mm. for grocery delivery that day. And just a data quality issue, right? Any kind of intelligence system or data quality tool that watched that data would have been able to spot this issue instantly. But despite all of our sophistication, all the tools we had, you know, no one yep, caught yep. this issue until we figured it out the next day after already losing some sales um, because of it. And so that was kind of one of these moments that made me realize that you know, despite all the sophistication, there's something missing in the modern data stack, right? There should be something that really watches our data for us and makes sure if it's of high quality and catches these kinds of issues before they impact things downstream. Yeah. yeah. No, I no, think, I think uh, Elliot, first thing, uh, this is amazing example that you've shared already. Uh, and uh, like I mentioned, uh, it's also the audience. Sanjeev says, great example why uh, data quality matter. Uh, another, you know, obviously, uh, it kind of brings me to another important question when we are talking about, you know, data quality, about such big organizations where, you know, uh, if there's a 
data quality issue in terms of you know just the inventory that didn't come up and you see like a 50% down in terms of the sales or the orders that are coming in um does that uh, like that kind of brings me to uh, something which is very important first of all what is data quality i am pretty sure uh, folks here want to learn it from you what is data quality when you talk about you know uh, data breakages in you know uh, all of those things and why is it important for organization of all sizes because i know you talking about you know larger organizations here but uh, i know for a fact where anomaly also serves to a lot of companies which is small and medium sizes as well so can you tell us a little about that yeah so let's start with what is data quality and so you know quite simply uh you know we look at data quality across three dimensions one and is perhaps the most important when you're using data all the time and new data is coming in is the data you're using actually fresh right has new data arrived as you expected uh it's amazing to me how often folks don't realize for example the particular table of data that they're relying on hasn't been updated in a long time right and so they're using data that's stale so freshness is one of the most important is this the the latest of this data, right? Did I get the data from the latest period? The second one that we talk about is missing data. Very often this is one of the you know biggest issues in data quality that people see when they're actually encountering this is some part of their data is missing. It could be a random part, right? They lost the last 5 minutes of the day, it didn't arrive. Uh, right? Or it could be something very specific, you know, an engineer checked in some bad code and now a particular tracking event that was present in the data isn't present today right or it could be a geographic issue you know i get feeds from all over the country but today the feed from boston didn't come in or similar to the costco issue it could be you know a segment was present in the data you know i used to have meats in my feed but today that segment is gone or sufficiently diminished and then the third one are anomalies in the data you know uh if let's say i have transactional data I'm, I'm tracking sales uh in my data table you know an anomaly in the sales data might be that there are some unusually large orders or the count of orders is unusual today either up or down from where i would expect it right right and you can think about a wide range of metrics like that that people care about from their data sets that might have anomalies in them uh we even at anomaly look at some some very advanced anomalies like changes in correlations between columns in a table right most folks don't think about that when they're evaluating data quality they're, they're like you know they're not computing correlations between columns in a table and the good news is when you have a data quality product like anomaly we can just do that for you automatically you don't have to think about it um but that's a type of anomaly you know if column A in a table right. is usually correlated with column B but today that relationship changed well that's an indication that maybe something is wrong with that data something unexpected has happened so those are generally the three categories right is the data fresh is it complete is there any evidence of missing data and doesn't have any anomalies in it and what you'll see is is companies large and small have all of these issues right uh and so we work with a wide range of companies you know companies that are monitoring 50 tables in their data warehouse to companies that are monitoring a million tables in their data warehouse and the issues are the same what what really changes is how difficult it is to make sure you know those things are caught and addressed uh in these really larger uh scale data warehouses right if you're a startup and you're looking at 10 tables, 50 tables, well, your data scientists, your data analysts can probably review them manually right? or review the dashboards every day and catch most issues. That just isn't feasible when you have a million data sets uh in your organization. You need something much more automated that's going to that's going to, you know, find and catch the issues for you. Right. 
No, I think Elliot, these are uh, definitely great points in terms of, you know, uh, first of all, understanding the data quality in uh, why all organization, like why all sizes of organization should have uh, data, should be, you know, uh, making sure that the data quality kind of plays a very important role. Uh, we'll definitely be taking questions uh, from the audience. So for those who are putting out questions, I have it marked. I'll be asking those two ideas. But before jumping on to uh, questions from uh, from the audience, so one quick question in terms of uh, do you have any use case that you remember or uh, back of your mind that you can share with our audience that it kind of, you know, just connects the dots with to them as well uh, very clearly? Yeah, so many uh... Again, a very common one is there was some bad code checked into your pipeline and what was coming through before isn't coming through, right? Um, you know, a tracking event that was being tracked has disappeared or has been renamed, by the way, which is a similar issue because something downstream is probably expecting the old name. Uh, another use case that we see with our customers all the time is third-party data. And this is somewhat similar to the Costco example, but imagine you're getting marketing data, marketing campaign performance from, you know, your, your advertising network, right? Google, Facebook, you name it, smaller networks. Very often that data may change. The format of that data may change unexpectedly. Right. Right. And now the reports you've built on it, the dashboards that you look at to assess your marketing performance may make no sense. You know, one that I remember from the early days of Anomala was uh, someone was consuming uh, one of these third-party reports on marketing data, and they had a, you know, kind of campaign spend column. And mm. up until that day, that campaign spend was always in dollars. And then suddenly it changed, okay. and the campaign spend was actually in the local currency. Oh my! Geography <laughs> where it was being spent, and suddenly no dashboards made any sense because everyone just assumed it was still dollars, right? Uh, yeah. And so it's one of those things. It's those kinds of unexpected changes, uh, and of course, tools like Anomalo today that would be you know, a classic anomaly in that column, right? The distribution of that column had changed, right? Um, so those are those are some of the big big use cases we see. Yeah, no, I think a uh, very interesting use case. You, like, it's hard to even think about such use cases that can ever happen. Like, everything looks the same. People have the same thinking around it, that nothing has changed. But suddenly, you, you know, from the other side, you see a currency change, which has happened. Like, if I don't work for that company, but if I look at those reports, like, if, if the auditor kind of comes in and he, he looks, uh, he or she looks at that report, it might not be in dollars. <laughs> so it could be very much tricky there and the data goes for a toss. So uh, thanks for sharing that. One quick question. Let's take your from Krishna. He has a little different question here, but uh, I'm pretty sure you can answer that. I want to ask a question that a field of data ops is hyping these days. What What is its future in the context of advancement in ML and data science? Yeah, yeah. So. I'm going to interpret the question a little bit. So hopefully I'm answering the right question. Here yeah. Now, but follow up if I'm not. You know, my view is definitely that every company is going to use data more and more and more. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, it, whereas 10 years ago, you may have looked at only a few companies in the world that were really passionate about using data to make decisions. I think now every company is passionate about using data or is on a journey to become a data-driven organization. And there's a few reasons for that. Reason number one is they've seen how successful companies like Google, Amazon, Facebook have been with those approaches, right. have been as data-driven organizations, as organizations that are not just data-driven, but are obsessed with data. And two, which you refer to your question, Krishna, is the rise of machine learning. Everyone wants to use machine learning. Everyone wants to use the new AI technologies to do something for their business, to make their product better, to make their business better, to become more efficient, right? And so that's driven another set of exciting things that you can do with data. But data ops 
as you mentioned, I actually think is pretty critical in this world of everyone mm -hmm. becoming obsessed with data. Because the truth is your machine learning model, no matter how great it is, it's not gonna perform well if it's trained on bad data. Or if maybe it's trained on perfect data that you cleaned, but once it's rolled out, if it gets unusual data that day, right? Machine right. learning models don't actually react well to unusual data being fed to them in real time, data that they're not expecting, data that they weren't trained on. And so um, it actually becomes even more critical in this world of everyone being obsessed around data to actually have great operations around how your data is delivered and transformed, how it's validated, how its quality is confirmed before it's mm. used. So, so I agree with the general premise of your, of your question, Krishna, which is, you know, I think in a world where everyone is hiring data scientists or trying to be more data driven or trying to use ML more, things like data ops, things, you know, products and processes that help you manage data and ensure you have the right high quality data available are going to be pretty critical. Okay, that's uh, a very good answer. Uh, and definitely super insightful, Elliot. Uh, I'm sure it helps Krishna there. Uh, let's let's pick one other question here from YouTube. Alex is asking, I would like to hear your thoughts on standardization of data across multiple systems. I've spent a lot of time normalization, like correlation underscore ID, correlation ID. So yeah, very, very much on point in terms of what we're discussing today. So uh, Elliot, what, what do you think about it? Yeah, this is, uh, Alex, this is a common problem, right? And I'm afraid this problem isn't going away. You know, what I've seen as a, as a positive development um, in this problem is data centralization. And so more and more companies are looking at uh, kind of data centralization, putting all of their data in one place, right? Rather than having data distributed among multiple systems. And we live at a great time for centralizing data because you can have powerful data warehouses like Snowflake, BigQuery, right? Um, that, you know, or Databricks, uh, uh, another great, one as uh, partner of ours, you know, it's very easy in, with those systems to just send them all of your data. And once your data is centralized, these conflicts, although you may have to still solve them, they're less likely to proliferate. They're less likely to come up because all of your data is in one place, right? And all of your data kind of has to work together. So I've seen that as the as the best sort of trend or best approach uh, for ultimately mm. solving this, this issue, Alex. So, you know, if you're wondering how do I make, you create fewer of these issues and you're in an organization somewhere, I would, I would kind of push for, for centralizing the data, push for having one system that has all the data. Mm. Okay. No, I, I'm pretty sure uh, Alex uh, likes that answer in uh, like, uh, you know, obviously, Elliot, you mentioned it's not something which is a rare problem. It's a common problem out there. And a lot of companies, a lot of folks in the data kind of face that. Uh, so thanks for the answer. Krishna did mention as well uh, the previous answer, question that you answered well explained. Awesome. Uh, we have a few more questions coming in. But uh, just before we take those questions, uh, wanted to quickly jump on to something which is uh around monitoring and data quality as well uh elite we all know in the world of data observability um uh you know it's it's super hard people want to you know obviously all the large enterprises small, small and medium enterprises also have want to monitor it but do you remember or do you uh know what were the what what are the methods people have used in the past to monitor data quality? How did it work back then? And how did we move from the traditional world to this modernized uh, way of monitoring the data? Yeah, absolutely. Great question, Robin. I love talking about this topic uh, <laughs> because we encounter customers uh, where, you know, they're going through this journey all the time. But, 
Yeah, I'm sure a lot of your listeners know when, when folks talked about data quality in the past, the clear approach that they always used was a rules-based approach, mm. which is someone went out, an expert on the data, hopefully, and wrote rules to describe what high-quality data looks like in a particular data set. And then you had some system that was checking those rules all the time. Um, and in fact, going back to my example at the beginning of the show, you know, Instacart ran on a rules-based system for data quality. That's exactly. We monitored it. And what, what I found during my Instacart experience, and of course now working with many customers of Anomalo, is rules-based systems had three major issues. Hmm. Issue number one is it actually takes a lot of work to write all the rules, right? Someone has to sit down and kind of somehow come up with all those rules for their data set. It's a lot of time, a lot of work. Exactly. Issue number two, even if you do all that, right? Let's say you got your whole team to write rules for all of their data, you know, everyone has done it. Uh, well, actually your job doesn't start, stop there because data changes all the time. You launch new products, you open up new geographies, you add new data sources. So issue number two is it's not just enough to write all the rules. You have to maintain the rules over time. So you have to continue to invest in doing that work. And then issue number three is, well, you know, rules are great, but you're only going to write rules about issues that you can anticipate happening, things that you can imagine as data quality issues in the future. No one can imagine 100% of all the issues that they will see in the future. So the rules-based approach actually misses kind of unanticipated issues, or as we call them at Anomalo, the unknown unknowns of what will happen <clears throat> to your data. And that was actually bringing it back to the Instacart example at the beginning. That was actually what happened when Instacart, we had a rules-based system, but it didn't right. have a rule that said, hey, you should have more than zero meats at Costco, <laughs> right? It just that wasn't a situation that we anticipated. And of course, after the incident uh, that we had, we added that rule immediately. <laughs> so we were never gonna be caught with that issue again. But that's the fundamental problem with rules is you have to anticipate every possible scenario or you're actually still vulnerable to these issues in your data. And so at Anomalo, we of course champion a more modern approach, which is you can write the rules if you wish, but mm. fundamentally, what we do is we actually write the rules for you through machine learning. And so we train machine learning models on your data um, to understand what's normal and what's not normal in your data set over time. And those models are able to detect changes in your data that are unexpected, that are unusual. And with no rules written, right? The machine learning model can just trains itself in a fully automated way to detect those kinds of things. And what's great about that is you didn't have to write any rules. Mm -hmm. The model retrains itself every day. And so if you open the new geography or you launch the new product or you had a new data set coming in, that's okay. The model will learn about that and adjust how it works. And you don't have to maintain anything over time. And machine learning is great at, uh, detecting unknown unknowns, unusual changes in anything, whether you've told it about that as a possible change or not, right? It can spot mm -hmm. those pretty quickly. So having this foundation of machine learning monitoring um, is pretty critical uh, these days. And, you know, certainly at scale, when you're thinking about monitoring hundreds of thousands, millions of data sets, it's really the only way to do it because no one's gonna write rules or maintain rules for all of that data. Yeah, no, I think uh, definitely it kind of gives us a good uh, interpretation of why, you know, this modernized uh, term plus, you know, the data monitoring rules, to be honest, have come in and uh, come in with uh, way better uh, understanding in terms of also utilizing machine learning and having that in place. So the data quality are checked at and monitored at all the levels. So thanks for sharing that, uh, Elliot. Uh, and there's a actually there's a, a you know a, a similar sort of question here uh, in in 
in the comments in i'm going to pick this uh so sanjeev has a big uh, question here which kind of covers our faces <laughs> but uh, what is your opinion on implementing data quality approach in data pipeline journey if we are going to implement the data quality rules at each layer it may increase the complete elt run time overall uh, can we implement critical uh, business critical dq data quality rules to be part of elt and non critical data quality outside elt window and give some features of the anomalo and how it different and how is it different from the other data quality product pretty interesting heavy question uh, coming for you elliot uh, so yeah what are your thoughts absolutely so absolutely 100% you can implement monitoring in the etl or elt process uh, we actually power that for many of our customers uh, and you're right that it can add some run runtime to that process but you know that's why selecting what's critical in pipeline and what's critical outside the pipeline is important uh, and so we have customers where they run the most critical checks inside the pipeline at the cost of maybe a few yeah. seconds right uh, and that's okay in terms of the overall time so definitely encourage folks to do that we found that even though you've implemented checks within the pipeline it's still important to check the final output and to run full kind of validation and monitoring data quality checks on the final output of the pipeline you know the data is actually going to be used inside your organization so we usually start there but very often many of our customers say well i want to catch these issues even earlier inside my pipeline mm. And what's great about a product like Anomalo is you can actually ask it through our API to run the same checks it would run on the final output in an earlier stage within the pipeline. So you Very can implement it in a way where, let's say you have you know, the final result of the pipeline, you're about to promote it to your data warehouse, you're about to promote it to production. You can say, hey, if I promote this data to production, Will there be any any anomalies detected by Anomalo? Will there be any failures in data quality checks? Uh, and so that's something very powerful where you can kind of have a preview of the future of as this data moves through a pipeline, what's going to happen at the end? Right. Uh, and it's a very powerful technique for, for detecting issues and making sure that you only promote data that you're very confident in. Um, in terms of the second part of your question, you know, what differentiates Anomalo? The really big differentiator, as, as I mentioned, is our machine learning based approach, right? So right. out of the box, you point Anomaly with the data you're interested in, you connect it to your data warehouse, you point it at some tables, and we start monitoring all of those tables through machine learning immediately. No setup required, nothing for you to do. And when we spot an issue, we continue to use our machine learning based approach to identify the root cause of that issue. This is actually one of our most popular features, which is when we spot an issue with your data, we do an additional set of analysis through our machine learning models to say, well, this data appears localized to this particular tracking event or to this particular geography or to this particular segment of your data, which saves you a bunch of time in investigating how the issue happened and in root causing it. You don't have to run SQL queries to figure out where is the issue and which records are impacted. We kind of give you those results right away. So that's another highly differentiating feature of what we do, which is we're not just there to tell you that there's an issue. We want to help you resolve the issue and investigate the issue and do it as quickly as possible. Yeah. No, I think uh, those, uh, first of all, Sanjeev, great question. It kind of brought out a lot of interesting insights. And in, uh, thanks, Elite, for sharing those insights. Uh, we also have a comment here from Alex. Uh, what result, uh, less noise or uh, less noise following uh, ML better? Big companies immediately want less noise, but analysis ultimately finds a noisy issue riddle system. Is that not a good result? So pretty interesting. Um, a quick one in terms of, uh, uh, you know, picking up from another question here from audience. Uh, and this one's from uh, none other than the classification guru, Suzanne Walsh. Uh, she works around a lot in dirty data. So 
Are there any common challenges your clients face uh, that you would like to share, Elliot? Yeah, I mean, so many. We've talked about the kind of data quality challenges that our clients face, and we see all those issues in terms of freshness or missing data or anomalies in the data. You know, there's also a set of organizational challenges um, that our clients face. Um, you know, very often, one of the mistakes that I see our customers make is assuming that a centralized team can handle all of the data quality needs, you know, assigning the task of managing data quality to a data engineering team or a data platform team that's kind of centralized in the organization. Mm -hmm. And that actually doesn't work because if you have half a million tables, that centralized team can't possibly know what each table is about and what's important mm -hmm. in the data quality dimension uh in that table and so you know one of the things that we encourage our customers to do and many are already on their way and we're just encouraging them to go faster is really decentralizing that responsibility and adopting tools and adopting processes that allow you know individual data scientists or data stewards in the organization who mm -hmm. are experts in particular data sets understand those data sets incredibly well allowing those right. to really have access uh, to you know monitor the quality of the tables that they care about to define what quality means to react and triage issues from those tables rather than attempting to have a centralized team do it who you know are never going to be able to learn the ins and outs of every data set yeah no i think uh, great question uh, suzanne uh in a uh, great example that you've shared, uh, uh, Elliot, Suzanne says, decentralize, but keep the data caught on. Uh, that's uh, her, uh, you know, motto. So, which is very cool. Thanks, Suzanne, for that question. We also have uh, a few questions there, but before we jump on to another question from the audience, I have a quick question in terms of, you know, talking about the larger, larger organizations as well. Can you give us or tell us, uh, or maybe just explain us about the concept of data scalability and how it applies to larger organizations? Because as we were talking about it, Elliot, uh, off air behind the stage as well, like there are so many enterprise companies out there who kind of feel and have that problem where they have a comp you know, a team of say 500 data folks and how can it be applied to uh, you know the organization how much time does it take and all those questions that the enterprise leaders have do you have any insights about that yeah absolutely and, and it's a it's a real problem i think you have scalability on multiple dimensions that enterprises mm. with one is just the number of data sets that they have in exactly. place right and getting a handle on those and you can imagine that it's not just a data quality issues there's issues in kind of data governance and compliance in some of these enterprises where i don't want to have data sets that accidentally have data that's sensitive that no one knows about um so there's issues there and then there's issues in terms of uh you know the size of their data team right they might have mm. hundreds thousands of people on their data team all with different levels of expertise, right? And different skill sets um, and kind of different backgrounds. And so how do you manage this, this whole you know, massive set of data sets, this large data team, or, or how do you align these things to actually give you great ROI on your data and give you great insights from your data and you allow your data to be a powerful asset to your enterprise. And by the way, I failed to mention that Often they're adding new data sets all the time, right? right? It's not just managing a pool. They're they're doing stuff, right? They're striking partnerships. They're launching products. Uh, you know, they're expanding in ways that will create new data. So so whatever they come up with has to has to work quite well, uh, and has to scale as the company scales. And so I think, you know, I'll, I would give a few tips uh, for for how to approach this problem. Right. I don't think it's a it's a problem which is easy to solve, uh, but how to approach mm. this problem. And, and one is is just reiterating something I mentioned earlier is decentralization. Is coming up with a structure where 
folks in your very large data team can actually be owners of data. Mm not just consumers, not just folks that query a table when they need a dashboard and when they need an answer for whatever right. they went, but they can actually own that data set, be responsible for what's in that data set, you know, and its, uh, and its quality, its contents, uh, its compliance, all those kinds of things. That is a huge one. Uh, and mm -hmm. I think that helps you both, you know, manage the large number of data sets you might have because through decentralization you can kind of get a handle on what all of those are and surface uh, all of those insights that you need and it also helps you empower your large data team because as owners uh, you know of a particular data set uh, a lot of their tasks and a lot of their needs for alignment and collaboration are, are pretty clear um, and so, of course, you need tools on top of that that allow you to do that, tools that identify owners, right, tools that uh, allow owners to, of the data, whatever you call them, data stewards, some folks use that term, allow those owners to, um, you know, use powerful tools to create new data sets, to validate, assess the quality of data sets. You need all those kinds of tools. And our largest customers you can see their investment in this area. Um, you know, we have a very large financial services customer who has built a centralized tool where if I need a new table in the data warehouse, right, whether from a third party or because it's an output of a transformation on existing data, I can go ahead in this internal tool and I can create it. And what happens when I create this table is of course, Anomalo is automatically configured to monitor this new table for data quality and the right details are surfaced for kind of data governance and compliance uh, purposes, yeah. right? So you need tools, um, but then it's also a mindset shift going from mm -hmm. kind of centralized management to this sort of decentralized ownership. Now, there's still a role for centralized teams and you wanna have dashboards and kind of these enterprise overviews of what's going on that are available to the centralized team to make sure the owners are doing the right things. But that's right. by far one of the biggest tools we've seen um, to kind of counter this issue of exploding data, right? The explosion of data in these enterprises. Decentralize and create great tools that both give you a global view and allow the individual owners to do what they need to do. I think these are uh, amazing insights and uh, definitely uh, I'm pretty sure the audience is a kind of understand how the larger organization functions, uh, what are the pain points, and uh, definitely amazing point in terms of the data ownership because this is what we've been, you know, this is this has been a debate since a long. We read so many articles, we read so much about it on uh, various platforms as well about data ownership. In uh, this, I uh, kind of all sums up uh, pretty well. So thanks for sharing that. Uh, Another quick comment here uh, from Alex. Uh, I would like to hear about the key selling points of Anomalo are that I can't achieve with big big name analytics tools such as Dynatrace, Azure Log Analytics, etc. Thanks for your answers so far. So yeah. this is your time, Elliot. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Alex. <laughs> Appreciate you following up with more questions. So the tools you're talking about, um, you know typically specialize in particular kinds of data, right? So Azure Log Analytics, Dynatrace, you might specialize in kind of operational data, right? Data coming out of machines or software products. Uh, Anomalo will work great on our data, but actually we support many, many different kinds of data beyond that. So if you think about you know, tracking transactions or sales for your organization, right? Uh, say you're an e-commerce site and you're selling products on your site and tracking those sales and those transactions, you know, you're not going to get a lot of value on top of that transactional data from an Azure log analytics. Uh, meanwhile, Anomalo will handle that kind of data and detect anomalies in that kind of data right out of the box. Um, similar to, you know, marketing spend data, right? Or uh, any kind of uh, data of, of that kind, uh, you know, tracking event data, how are folks, if you have a web-based product, how are folks going through your product, which things are they clicking on, which pages are they viewing, that kind of 
page view click uh, through data uh, you know are also things where you're going to have a lot more luck with a more general platform like Canalo than some of these very specific tools. Pretty interesting. I think uh, uh, definitely brings up uh, good insights about in terms of how uh, you know Dynatrace and other tools are also kind of working around. Uh, very quickly, uh, another question here from uh, Mohit Prohit uh, from YouTube. Does Amla support uh, data quality for streaming data as well? Yeah, great question, Mohit. Uh, it's something we're working on. So today, most of our customers use us in kind of a batch fashion, you know, and sometimes a micro batch fashion, right? You can check data every 15 minutes, every hour. All right. Um, but uh, we don't typically today work on true kind of real time streaming data. And partly that's something, you know, we need to think more about and need to build, but partly it was a choice in the early days. Uh, because remember, you know, when we catch something in your data, you know, we actually need a human to triage it and resolve it, right? We are a product that catches issues and sends alerts to humans. Right. And humans don't really operate in kind of real time, right, or, or in streaming fashion, right? They tend to, uh, you know, operate more in batch mode, right? They want to get those alerts once a day or once an hour, or maybe once every 15 minutes. They don't typically want to get those alerts once a second, right, as their streaming data comes in. Um, so starting with a more micro batch or batch approach made a lot more sense in terms of how do you integrate something like Anomalo into your work. Pretty interesting. So you can uh, keep it on tap. Uh, Moet Anomaly is coming up with it in uh, definitely all those uh, features you would like to see would be out there. Uh, quick question here from Kate, uh, which is pretty interesting. Uh, hi, Kate. Uh, so can you walk us through a real world use case how Anomaly helped a customer detect and resolve a data quality issue? Nice. Yeah. Absolutely. So I have many of these, so it's hard to pick just one, but I'll pick one that's that was uh, you know fun, fun at the time. So we work with a customer who's a large, um, you know, internet publisher, right? Uh, their users come in and publish content on their platform, which then gets published on the web, sent out via email, those kinds of things. And uh, one typical data quality issue uh, we found which maybe even straddles the world of data quality versus uh, you know, other types of issues, is sometimes we'll find that a particular user has posted an unusually large number of content pieces on their platform. And sometimes that's, uh, and you know, the great thing about Anomalo with our root cause analysis, we don't just tell you that something's unusual. We pinpoint the exact user or set of users right, that drove that spike in the data automatically. And so um, it actually allows uh, you know the, the folks we're working with at this company to spot not only data quality issues, right, double counting mm. of submissions or events. That's been one that they've encountered, but also changes in user behavior. You know, a particular user is preparing for a big promotion of something, right, or they've just adopted the platform and they're going through kind of they're migrating a bunch of content from another platform. Uh, interesting changes in user behavior, it also helps them find spam or fraud, right? Because a fraudulent user or spammy user may have, uh, you know, spammed the platform with a bunch of content. Uh, and so that's a great example where, you know, we spot the issue, our root cause analysis immediately gives them the users that have caused the spike in their data. And now they can investigate and determine if any action, any action needs to occur. Awesome. Now, I think uh, these are amazing uh, insights and uh, thanks for sharing that uh, use case as well. It kind of brings up uh, a lot of insights. And uh, I think uh, overall we've had like, I know we almost time in uh, Elliot, we've discussed and covered a good ground in terms of, you know, the data quality about larger organization, about all sizes of organization. Uh, one thing uh, I'm pretty sure, uh, you know, before uh, I ask you the last question, this is my second last question to you is 
uh, around data governance. So what role does data governance play in maintaining data quality in larger organizations? Can you share like some best practices uh, or strategies for ensuring data quality in uh, at scale in larger organizations? Because uh, in with the data quality, I know how important data governance also kind of plays uh, an important role. So yeah, would like to hear your thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. Data governance is actually pretty critical. And, and the, the role of data governance in these large enterprises establish basic principles, right? Mm. For, uh, you know, how to make sure data is of high quality and is compliant, right? Is compliant with the rules and, and policies of the enterprise and kind of broadly communicate those principles um, and also monitor them, right? So we've routinely provide, you know, had data governance folks in the enterprise that we work with use some of our anomalous dashboards. We have this enterprise pulse dashboard that shows your data quality throughout your whole organization. Use them to really assess how's the organization doing overall? How are different teams and groups and different data owners within the organization doing in terms of the, mm. the data quality principles that we've established? What I would caution folks is don't ask the data governance team to actually enforce data quality across all the tables in the enterprise. That's not possible, right? You want that to establish the principles and to monitor the outcomes, but the enforcement, you know, and the in the detailed monitoring and resolution of issues has to be something that decentralized. And so I know I mentioned this a bunch, but it continues me my to be my number one tip for a larger mm -hmm. organization which is, you know, decentralized data ownership, assign the job of monitoring data and ensuring quality to the teams that are experts in that data and give them tools to enable them to do that well and to do that efficiently. Yeah, and uh, definitely, uh, uh, you know, it all kind of makes sense because um, if there are, you know, obviously it kind of solves the problem of the larger organization when they kind of, uh, decentralized break into pieces and then you know those experts kind of look at it and uh, monitor the data so there's no breakages no problem out there so but these are fantastic insights Elliot I know we are time one last question that I have for you and I'm pretty sure the audience here as well uh, has is if they want to find out if they want to reach out to you learn more about Anomalo learn more about data quality data governance and yeah, about, you know, obviously your journey, your experiences, where can they reach out to you? Yeah, absolutely. So to learn more about Anomalo, you can just go to Anomalo.com. That's A-N-O-M-A-L-O.com. We have lots of information there about the product. You can request a demo. You can watch some video demos. You can read our latest news and thinking. And for those that want to connect with me directly, you can find me on LinkedIn. Just search for Elliot okay. and Anomalo. Awesome. So you guys know where you can reach out. Uh, but this was super insightful, uh, Elliot. And uh, thanks once again for visiting the Rabbit Show. Obviously, I can't wait to do a 2.0 session where we discuss more about the developments that have happened in the data quality in the near future. Uh, and thank you to our audience for asking lovely questions. There were a lot of questions coming in. There, there, there are still some questions. We also have a comment here from Amy. It's fantastic information. Thank you for sharing all this knowledge. Uh, thanks, Elliot, once again. And thanks uh, to our audience for joining us. Uh, until next time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Bye.